we are now week six out of eight, going through a horizon series, looking to the horizon of what God's calling us to be as a church, the character of church he wants us to be. And we've looked, spent three weeks looking at family, spent two weeks looking at the subject of growth, discipleship, and now we come to the subject of invitation, invitation, inviting others to join the adventure. We, um, today, just to explain what's going to be happening today, is going to be a bit more of an introduction, a bit more of an overview on uh, the subject of invitation, evangelism effectively, uh, in the church, through the church, out of the church. Next week, after today's introduction to the subject, next week, Carl Maidman, who many of you um, will probably know, he leads our church gateway on the wheel over in Tenterden, used to be part of City Church many eons ago. Uh, he's been here a few times, you, you recognise him if you, if you don't recognise the name, I'm sure. He will be coming to speak next Sunday on the practicalities. Today's the introduction, next week be the, well, okay, how do we do this? He'll give us some encouragements and, and ideas, stories and so on about the practical aspects of invitation. The following week we'll do it slightly differently again and you'll find out when that Sunday comes around what that will look like. But today, just an overview of the subject from the Bible, the theme of invitation in the Bible. In fact, we heard it earlier from Jenny's, uh, Jenny talking about Anna's pictures and the invitation to a party that Jesus welcomes us into. Invitation is actually a very strong theme throughout the Bible. It's, it's the heart of the gospel, heart of the good news of Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do for us. It's being invitational. And we as a church are expected, therefore, to pass it on. So what I want to do, just for the next... 15 minutes or so, 10-15 minutes, is just look at the subject of invitation as a, as a thread through the Bible. I'm going to go right through the Bible, from the beginning to the end, in three little stages. Just the, uh, the thread of invitation through the Bible, but then we're going to spend the second half of my time talking on one parable that Jesus shares that actually opens up the subject a little bit more. First of all, I don't know, has anyone noticed how... Wedding invites have changed over the decades. Have you noticed this? There used to be, it used to be, you just get an invite in the post and you go yes or no. Well, it's different now. Because then save the date cards started arriving. Save the date, July 2020. There's a date coming, put it in your diary so you're free, but the invite will come later where you get to say yes or no if you're able to or want to go. That's changed as well now. Because now you get save the date videos. On social media, on Facebook, big slideshow of this young, of this lovely couple getting engaged, or whatever it is, celebrating their love. L U R V E. It's a special spelling. Celebrating their love for each other. Save the date. The big announcement. Da 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 da. Big angelic chorus and trumpets. July 2020. We're getting married. Invites will be in the post. However, that's changed as well now, because now you get teaser videos for the video ready for the invite, ready for the wedding. You get a little few seconds, seriously, you get a few seconds snippets coming up on Facebook just to let you know. Mark your diary. There's a video coming. And that video will then tell you to save a date. But that date will then be announced properly when the invite arrives, when you can say yes or no, or I'm washing my hair. What's going to happen next? I'm intrigued. Maybe you're going to get a text, a warning text, just to let you know there's a teaser video coming on Facebook next week that will tell you that there's a big video coming that will tell you that there's a date coming and that you're getting invited later on. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. There are multiple 
invitational moments now for the big wedding party, but there's still actually, in amongst all that, there still comes the RSVP moment when you have to respond or you miss out. And that applies to the Bible. That's God's appeal to humanity. There's an invitation to step into new life with him. And again, there's, there's usually, there's often multiple invitational moments where God teases you in and he's calling you and just letting you know what's available for you and what's coming. There are multiple invitational moments, but there still comes the RSVP moment where you have to respond to him and say yes or no or be in extreme eternal danger of missing out. That moment still comes. And in fact, invitation is the whole reason why any Christian, any of us, reborn in Jesus, how Invitation is, because how, is the reason why any of us can ever dare say that we, can, we stand innocent before a holy God. It's not because of anything we've done. It's not of anything we've forced to happen. It's because he's invited us into that place through Jesus in the first place. We've been invited in, and each of us that have, have you know, trusted our lives in Jesus and in his work on the cross, we've accepted that invite. That's what we've done. But it's because we're invited, our eyes are open to that invite, in the first place. But then it continues that that invitation continues to be the means of others joining this new life too. Sometimes it's direct invitation. Sometimes God directly invites an individual without using the church. You see in many closed countries, particularly Muslim nations today, you keep still more and more and more stories keep coming out of Jesus appearing to people, men and women, in their dreams directly inviting them into this new adventure with him. And they respond to it and they become Christians without a Christian having initially spoken to them. There was sometimes direct invitation. I heard a story last year of a lady, she was in Syria. In fact, this, this, this blows my mind. I can't quite get my head around this. But Mary, Jesus' mum Mary, comes to her in a dream and says, you need to go, it was either Palestine or Lebanon. You need to go to Palestine or Lebanon. She was a refugee. She was escaping Syria. And Mary says, you need to go to this country where you will meet a man in the street who will tell you about my son. And she did, and whichever, whether it was Lebanon or Palestine, she ended up in this place on the street, and she just literally just landed. She's, she's just like, and she goes up to a random stranger on the street and says, excuse me, a lady called Mary told me someone here will tell me about their son. I don't know who to ask. And this guy turned out to be a Westerner who was called as a Christian to go to this place to preach Jesus. And it's like, must be me then. <laughs> That was a direct invite from God to that person. But more often than not, more commonly, it's about God inviting others through us, his people, through the church. Invitation is apparent all the way through scripture, the whole theme of it, from Genesis through to Revelation. Genesis is at the beginning, Revelation at the, at the end, but everything all the way through as well. It starts with, book of Genesis starts with family, doesn't it? Starts with family, but then the Bible enters the bulk of human history of relationship breakdown and divorce, effectively, between God and man. But then ends in the book of Revelation with a great royal wedding. Let's just look at that for a moment. The Bible begins with family. Let's go through that. The Bible begins with family. We see the first humans, Genesis chapter 1, right at the very, very beginning. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. There's Adam and Eve and their descendants... They're meant to go into all the world bearing God's image. Genesis 1, God says to them, be be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, spread out, spread my image, spread my glory everywhere. 
It's not just about you. It's about more, more, more. It's about man being in perfect communion with God, unhindered, open relationship with God, being sent out to spread this multiplying display of God's goodness. That's what it means to be yeah, bearers of his image. We get to display him wherever we go. That was the original intent. However, unfortunately, our first parents disobeyed and they put themselves first instead, instead of him. And so we therefore enter the bulk of human history that we see all the way through the Bible that we're still in now, where there's been complete relationship breakdown. There's been this divorce between God and man, between mankind and their maker. And that's where we are now, generally speaking, in the history of mankind. But even within that, even early on, you see in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to this man, Abraham. He calls him out and goes, you're mine. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have a family. Your family's going to be blessed. Your descendants are going to be blessed. But then God also says that all the other families of the earth will be blessed through that as well. There'll be a second blessing. It's not just about you. It's about others. You see, there's this invitation. See this pattern emerging. It's not just about you. It's about more. The world was supposed to benefit from Abraham's descendants, who eventually became the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, being set apart for God. It was about not just about them, it was about others as well. The Jewish people, they weren't merely uh, kind of lucky ones living in a safe cocoon, as they often thought they were. It was always about a bigger plan. It's not just about you, it's about the others. Unfortunately, the Jewish people, again, like Adam and Eve, too often the Jewish people ignored that very intention, kept the goodness for themselves. We're all right. I'm all right, Jack. We belong to God. See you later. You're not. There's a lot of that going on. Not always, but a lot. It's the core of man's heart, isn't it? But God, nevertheless, he ensured that his invitation to the other nations outside of the Jewish people to join his family, that became fully realised and possible in Jesus 2,000 years ago. That was the whole point of it all. Jesus actually is the ultimate invitation for us all to be right with God for eternity. Jesus is the ultimate invitation in the first place. And so that takes us all the way through the Bible story and ends at the book of Revelation. Right at the end, if with me, just want to turn to Revelation chapter 19. I'm just going to read this little passage together. We get this royal wedding right at the end, this amazing, amazing glimpse of what something that's yet to come. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I, this is John writing this, he said, I heard what seemed to be the voice of great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen... John goes on to say, is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Lamb being Jesus. Blessed are those who are invited to Jesus' royal wedding. 
Notice that word in verse 9. Invited. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of Jesus. The only way to get to be part of this happy ending is to be invited in the first place and to accept that invite. But then when we tally that up with Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus' parting words to his people, he says, My spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's about now you need to go and share this out. Don't keep it for yourselves. It's the recurring theme. Don't keep it for yourselves. This is for others. You need to go and share. You need to do the inviting. As well as becoming the invited, when we accept, we also become his inviters. Invitation, actually, for us as God's people is an expectation. Invitation is an expectation. And we, the church, like the Jewish people back in the day, we have often hampered that second blessing for others ourselves, haven't we? Have we always got that right? We're not here just for us. We're here for others. We can ignore God's intention to bless those still yet to be in his family out of fear. We can do it out of, fail to do it out of laziness, out of prejudice, out of busyness. So look at some of those later. And ultimately, that is downright disobedience. For whatever reason, whatever excuse we give, the question for us all, to begin with, is how much do we do that? How much do I, Steve, do that? How invitational am I in sharing this wealth, this treasure I've got? How often, seriously, does it bother me to share it out? I have to ask myself that question. How often are we freely inviting others to meet with Jesus for themselves? Or how often do we give in to fear or laziness or busyness, etc.? It's a big question, isn't it? So that's just the overall theme of invitation in the Bible. But I want to drill down a little deeper, just for the rest of this morning, uh, in a parable that Jesus shares. He shares a parable about a banquet, but he's at a banquet while he's telling it. He uses what he sees to tell this story. Do you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 14? Just look at this subject a little bit closer as we finish on this. Let me just uh, set the context, set the scene for you while you're turning there. Luke 14, and you've got the verses up there. But just to set the scene, Jesus, he's at this, he's at a big feast already. It's at his great big supper, and he's been invited there. The host is the leader of the super-religious crowd, the Pharisees. They're, some of them are okay, but most often than not, they were extra-religious. They were often rule worshippers. And actually with a bit of a superiority complex going on as well. That's what, generally speaking, not all, but generally speaking, there were rule worshippers with a superiority complex. So Jesus is with these guys, and the host is the leader of these guys. And Jesus, in front of them all, just a few verses earlier, in front of them all, he's eye-openingly at dinner on the Sabbath, remember that as well, he's just healed a man, with abnormal swelling, probably something to do with um, cardiovascular problems, it seems to be, for the heart problems, causing swelling in his body. Jesus has healed him in front of everyone, in front of these, these extra-religious superiority complex people. He's just healed this man on the Sabbath. 
You don't do that. That's, dis that's disgraceful. Who does this man think he is? So Jesus has done that, but as if that's not enough, he then goes on to scold these religious rule keepers about thinking too much of themselves. So he's just healed a man on the Sabbath, outrageously, and then he's told them they think too much of themselves, everyone in this room. And as if that's not enough, he then tells the host he's invited the wrong people. <laughs> Suffice to say, Jesus is not a people pleaser at all. So then we come to verse 15. So with that in mind, there's a very awkward tension in the room now. Who the heck does this Jesus think he is? He's just upset everybody. So verse 15, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, oh, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, that might sound like an odd thing to say. That was actually just a common Jewish saying at the time. Ah, oh, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. It's, it's, a, it's a common Jewish saying that we used to say quite often together. I think what this guy is trying to do is trying to break the tension. He's, he's, he's trying to kind of uh, defuse the situation. It's like everything's getting really awkward. Everybody's been offended. And so he's like, uh, anyway, thanks for having us, Gary. Because Gary is clearly the name of the leader of the Pharisees. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Gary. Lovely food. Really enjoying the tiramisu. Just trying to break the tension. So what does Jesus do? <laughs> well, he ramps up the awkwardness, doesn't he? Of course he does. He takes the saying and he turns it into a warning for all his listeners. He says, basically, we're going to read through these verses, and basically he's saying, you say blessed is everyone who's going to get to eat at God's table. Do not assume for one minute that you're going to be one of them. Let's find out. Verse 16. He said to them, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, oh, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And then another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And then another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. He could have brought her along. Could have had a plus one, couldn't he? So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Ooh. There's two layers to this. There's the obvious and then there's the universal. Initially, there's the primary layer here that he's talking to the Jewish people and he's saying to them, there are many Jewish people, you guys in this room included, he's saying, saying who are rejecting the grand invitation themselves. This blessing for you was not just for you, it was for others. And either you accept the official invitation for yourselves and step into it, not just depending on rules, but depending on the Messiah, you're missing out and then also you're not passing it on. The grand invitation was sitting right in front of them. 
Jesus is God's grand invitation, isn't he? But there's ain't many in the room. In the first place, the first instance, before we get to the passing on the blessing, he's, getting to, he's saying to them, the privilege of being Jewish is a save the date video. You're not sitting at the table yet. The point of being Jewish is a signpost to greater things to come about salvation in God through Jesus, through the Messiah, who is sitting right in front of them. So don't assume you're going to sit at this table. Don't take it for granted at all. Being set apart as the nation of Israel is merely a signpost for a restored divine relationship found in Jesus as the outstretched hand of God. And here Jesus is saying many of them are failing to respond to RSVP to the actual invite from Jesus himself. He said, don't think you're sorted. Don't take that for granted. So initially he's saying that. But there is actually a universal application there as well. Because the rest of us who aren't Jewish, we are not excused either. We too, as the invitation has been extended to all mankind through Jesus... We, we too, we can be in danger of failing to respond and ultimately miss out. There's many reasons here, well, three, three particular reasons here that, <coughs> excuse me, that people give for not responding to the invitation, for turning it down. What have we got? We've got three, uh, we've got land, livestock and love. More love, there it is again. <coughs> in fact, they're saying to God, I'm washing my hair. Thanks, but I'm washing my hair. I've got better things to do. Let's look, let's look. Land, verse, verse 18. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. He's turning down a good dinner to go and look at some land he's just bought. Effectively, today, for us in modern, modern Western world, it's exactly the same about having greater earthly influence or power. Does that occupy the bigger portion of your heart? It's a big question we need to ask, isn't it? But then another guy, he goes on to say, it's about livestock, doesn't he? I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Possessions, responsibilities. They can occupy our hearts so much we don't have room for God. It's exactly the same, isn't it? We can look and think, oh, it's all right for them. It doesn't really apply to me. Of course it does. Possessions and responsibilities can occupy a bigger part of our heart, can't they? And then the next guy says, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> What's she like? Oh dear. <laughs> Either amazing and he wants to not leave her or he's frightened of her and doesn't want to leave her. I don't know. Love. Is your heart's affection for something or someone else and is that greater than your affection for your maker? It's a big question we all have to ask. Whether a Christian or not, we all have to ask these things. Land, livestock and love can be big excuses, but actually the wrong reasons. And all of those things, they can be legitimate. They can be legitimate. They can be neutral things as of themselves, but please ensure, we need to be sure that these are not reasons to not accept God's free invite for him to be our greatest delight. Saying to him, imagine just saying to God, I've got better things to do. How many millions are doing that right now? <clears throat> how, many, sometime, how many times, sometimes as Christians, do we do that? I've got better things to do. Let's just be sure it's not us.
But while that is a scary warning to the invited ones, this is also a powerful encouragement for the inviters. Because here we've got, there's another group of people in this story. There's the master's servants. See, these, these people, they're part of his household. and They've got an important job to do, he's given them. That's us. That's the church. Anyone who has accepted Jesus' invitation openly and wholeheartedly, you are his now. And because you're his, that makes you more than mere staff. That makes you one of the father's adopted kids. And because you're one of the father's adopted kids, we've got the same job to do. Passing on that blessing. Invitation. Verse 21, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Go out quickly. Don't let people, there's people who are going to miss out if you don't get to them in time. Go out quickly. I love that word, quickly. We've got that job to do, haven't we? Rather than having better things to do. I mentioned some reasons why we don't earlier. Let's just look at those just briefly. Sometimes we don't do it because of fear. Fear of man. It can be a big thing, can't it? We worry what they'll think of us. Are they going to think I'm weird? Are they not going to get me? Are they going to get angry with me? They're just being different. They just not want to listen to me. We can fear and worry about what others think. Sometimes it's laziness, isn't it? When our own hearts aren't pricked by any sense of urgency, go out quickly. Sometimes our hearts aren't pricked by that urgency, but instead we're just gazing at the cares of this world. It's just easier. Writing weddings, Jenny tells me, takes a lot of effort. Uh, sorry, did I say writing weddings? Writing wedding invites, sorry. <laughs> writing wedding invites takes a lot of effort. There's intent in choosing the right colours and the right styles and the right design, the right font. There's, uh, it, it takes intent, it takes effort, it takes time. I'll let Jenny do it 25 years ago. <laughs> There's my laziness coming through. But actually that takes intention and effort even just to write the invites in the first place. We need to take... Yeah, be, be intentional and take effort in how we invite other people. Again, Carl will help us next week in some of the practicalities of how to do that and encourage us with ideas and stories and so on. But we need to be intentional. Sometimes we can use Christian language and throw it at people and, they, and wonder why they're not becoming Christians. They haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Even the word sin. We need to find a different language sometimes, don't we? How we, how we display our lives to match up with what we speak takes intent a life of worship will then back up anything you say about Jesus rather than well you give it all that but look what you do over there there's intent and effort there laziness can get in the way can't it prejudice can be another reason why we don't do it sometimes we view other people as untouchable or undeserving does my perception does your perception of people sometimes mar our inclination to share Jesus with them. I hope not, but I think sometimes it does happen, doesn't it? Does our perception of people sometimes mar our inclination to share Jesus with them in the first place? Prejudice. Fear, laziness, prejudice, one more, busyness. Life can become so busy, it does happen. Life can become so busy, it distracts us from what's important. And it swallows up our intention from focusing on the best places in life. 
There is a reason why here at Beacon Church we limit the amount of rehearsals and gatherings and planning meetings we have. We limit them on purpose because if we're so busy doing church, we're not available to spend time with those who need to meet with Jesus the most. We do have that in mind behind the scenes when we're organising and planning what's, ha- what's happening. However, as a result, that does mean the onus is on all of us to make the most of that spare time. It takes intent. Deciding on and writing out those wedding invites. Who am I going to invite? What name am I going to put on this invite? I'm going to write their name really carefully. I'm going to take intent with these conversations. But we need to make the most of the time and the effort to do so. Many reasons why we don't. But there's good reasons why we do. There's, just, there's one word I want to pick out as we start coming towards an end, the end. But um, Verse 23. The servant's gone out. And it said, we've, we've done, done what you asked us to do and there's still room. So the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. There's a compulsion, he's asking, to invite all and sundry. Compel people. This word compel, it actually means to force someone to go in a particular direction, which sounds quite controlling. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, but his heart here is founded in something quite beautiful, not something evil. It's rooted in the words of drive and together, to drive things together, to drive two things together. It's like, come on, come and, come and meet with Jesus. Come and see him. Let me show you. Come and see. It's the same word that's used in the, uh, when the uh, uh, story is being told about Jesus feeding the multitude and he compels his disciples to get in a boat and he'll meet them on the other side. He's, he's, not, he's not kicking them in. <laughs> he's, he's compelling them. There's this eager urging Guys, I really want you to do this. It'll be good for you and I'll meet you on the other side. It's it's a good intent. It's insistent, but for good reason. And here, this story's core is a hunger for people not to miss out. That's where the compulsion comes from. People who otherwise will miss out. It's a compulsion. It's a good thing. There is justice involved here. Those people who have and are or will reject the uh, the invitation, they will miss out. It's on their heads. There is justice. But actually, outside of that, we suddenly discover that Master, Father God, is compelling all and sundry to come in. Suddenly there's also a desire for the banquet to nevertheless have no empty seats, no lack of joy, and jaw-dropping inclusion as well. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Bring them in. Anyone, all, who are broken, who are weak, they're suddenly raised to a a new status of being included in something they weren't born to. Bring them in. Don't let them miss out. They've got this grand feast and it's theirs now. Jesus levels the playing field, doesn't he? This is not just for the privileged or for the powerful. This is also for the poor in spirit and the powerless. Everybody is invited. No one is meant to miss out. God's heart is that his house be filled, his wedding banquet be attended to the max, and his invitation includes the people that we may not even think to look at. And so, as his people, we have an obligation to simply do as he asks. He's late, he's doing the hard work, he's just asking us to do the inviting. 
He's laying on the banquet. He's made the wedding and the eternal remarriage of God and man possible in the first place. And he's asking us to do the inviting. I do believe, I will say this, I do believe the church generally, the church at large, has spent far too much effort on waiting on God to bring the crowds in. When in fact I believe he's waiting on us to get out there and do the inviting. And I think we've, we've squandered that, haven't we? I can see it in my heart. Nah, not today, I'm washing my hair. There's people to invite. There's different ways of what that looks like. Sometimes it's over many, many years of just befriending and loving and serving and ministering and just being open with. Sometimes it's in an instant. But we've got a job to do. And I think too often we keep praying. Pray for God to bring people in. Absolutely, don't stop doing that. Don't mishear me. But sometimes we go, all right, I've prayed for people to come. Do you know what I mean? God's like, go, quickly, to the hedges and the highways, the lanes. Compel them to come in. God is not postponing his great wedding feast because too many have turned it down. Oh, well, I'll put it off for a bit longer then. No, 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 the date's still set. And his party will go ahead as planned. He's waiting for your response if you haven't already responded to him. Do not dally, do not delay. And for the rest of us who have, he's waiting for us, his people, to get out there and do the inviting. Jackie Pullinger, there's a name familiar to most of us, but if if you're not aware who she is, she she had a strong call from God during a prayer meeting at West Croydon many decades ago to go to Hong Kong. She ended up there, and God has done some remarkable stuff through her miracles and healings and salvations en masse. She says this, My concern is that scripture has told us clearly that we are all to be going. And the reason the Lord left us behind is to do the job he told us to do. So, we'd better get equipped to do it instead of living this life as if, as if this life is it. It's not. This is a very short life. and eternal life is forever. We are going to feel stupid for eternity if we wasted this one. Strong words, but I'll get it. I get it. Sometimes I need a wake-up call, do you? Be good to pray. If you're with me in this, will you just stand with me? Feel free to sit, that's fine. But if, if if you're...